0: Welcome to the Automation World Get Your Questions Answered podcast where we connect with industry experts to get the answers you need about industrial automation technologies. I'm David Greenfield, Director of Content for Automation World, and the question we'll be answering in this episode is, how to improve workforce training for highly automated environments? And to explain this, I'm joined today by Vincent Higgins, Global Director and General Manager at Honeywell's Digital Transformation and Workforce Excellence Initiative. So thanks for joining me today, Vincent.
1: Thank you, David. Great to be here.
0: So to get started, you know, one of the biggest questions around workforce training today is how to tailor training to specific employee needs. And and by that, I mean, you know, while there are many new workers coming into the manufacturing and process industries, There are also numerous experienced workers needing to shift jobs or update skills based on changing business or production requirements. When all of which means that a one size fits all training program won't work. So given that, how do you effectively assess the skill levels of new employees to deliver the kind of training that they need?
1: Certainly, I'll step back just momentarily, just to say that yes, we're in a very automated world, but people, the, the worker is truly at the inter, at the center of of activity. I, I don't think with all of automation that's happening, I don't believe that the person, the, the the key decision makers, will ever disappear. So it's imperative that those individuals, whether they be younger and less experienced workers or more mature experienced workers, are truly up to speed on on um, all that they need to do in, in the workplace. And it, like you say, it's not one size fits all. Um, everyone needs. Training. Everyone needs upskilling, and that um, that requires different things for different people. And so, you know, at Honeywell, we are f- focusing on assessing skills gaps. That's th- the ultimate kind of measure to get started in order to upskill both very experienced or less experienced individuals. And we do that using a whole series of new technologies that are entering the market that we've been been developing. Some are a little bit more traditional in terms of online assessments and other things, but uh, things like augmented and virtual reality, um, enhanced simulation using 3D worlds and and digital twins, all of those things um, become part of this effort to um, first identify skills gaps where, where there's a need and target those skills gaps with specific training Today, most training is a one size fits all. So every three years, uh, you may go into a classroom for a week, two weeks. Everyone gets the same training. Many times it's not effective. They say you know knowledge transfer in the classroom is about 20 to 30%. That is to say, knowledge that stays with you longer term that you would then go out in the field and use on a day-to-day basis. Some of these um, new training methods are, are such that um, that retention rate that knowledge sticking with you and staying with you into the field and beyond is between 70 and 80%. So, in summary, first to measure the skills gap and then provide very specific targeted training to customers um, as needed for both field, uh, as well as um, control room and other settings.
0: So. Once you've assessed a uh, given worker's level of skills, so that you're you know you know how to begin proceeding with them, how do you adapt training to that level, considering that skill levels can vary so widely?
1: Yeah, so it it, it comes down to what we call competency maps. Uh, every we look at each role, each responsibility, and each job title, and then we break it down into um, basic, intermediate, expert, and master from a training perspective. And we we drill down to the specific skills that are needed, uh, that are task-based knowledge or skills-based and provide a very targeted, um, you might say bite-size training to the individual as needed. So this when I say skills gap, it's not a generic kind of thing where, well, you're not really ready for this job or that job. It gets very specific to this task or that, that task. And we break it down into the roles like maintenance, inspection, different um, op types of operators, control room and in the field. So we have a dozen or so job roles and each job role has, is broken down into competencies and those competencies are broken down to skills and those skills are broken down into specific kind of nuggets of knowledge and skills that have to be addressed. So it gets pretty targeted. And um, each individual uh, after being assessed is, is essentially um, this new tra- no, small training content, bite-sized training content is offered um, in, in a way which provides uh, a very quick time to competency. That's really an important measure for us is how quickly you can get someone up to speed and competent to do a specific role. But, and I mean specific role, things like um, change the impeller in this pump or um, deal with this upset in the control room related to a particular vessel or a compressor or something. So it gets very specific um, and the the training is very targeted based on these competency maps, which are basically benchmarks um, for uh, uh, for each individual role and responsibility and also um, getting down to very specific skills that need to be addressed.
0: So it sounds like just as a follow on to your explanation there, it sounds like that your approach here is instead of delivering uh, broad training all at once, that's it's more modularized or compartmentalized to very specific tasks into uh, almost like bite-sized pieces, if you will, so that I, I guess to your point that only 70 to 80 percent of trainings are retained longer term, as you mentioned earlier. So I guess that's the approach to kind of give it in bite sized pieces uh, to be more effective. Is that a correct assessment?
1: That's right. That's right. And to be very specific. So the training is re- relevant to the need at hand and not generic and vanilla, which is currently what's being done often in the classroom, because mm-hmm. today very little training involves a truly assessing the knowledge and the skills of the individual. It's Everyone is given the same training and then if it sticks or not, well it's it's left up, I wouldn't say it's mm. a chance, but it's up to the individual to um, to folk stay focused, to absorb that knowledge and to apply it in the field.
0: Okay, yeah, I see. Thanks for explaining that. Now several years ago we were hearing a lot about the use of simulation and virtual reality to train workers. Is that something that you've seen to be an effective training tool? And if so, how are you using it?
1: That's yeah, a good question. Um, uh, the uh, t- new technologies around virtual and augmented reality have really advanced over the last few years. Um, a statistic, Facebook, for instance, has dedicated one-sixth of their entire personnel to developing virtual and augmented reality experiences. Uh, it's about over 10,000 people. So you can imagine the investment f- for Facebook. Now, Facebook is thinking maybe more in the social media realm, not so much in the training realm. But the effectiveness of virtual reality and simulation training we've seen is truly astounding. We launched about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, what we call our immersive training simulator, which is a cloud-based digital twin platform where you recreate a virtual environment of a plant or a manufacturing facility down to the smallest detail, photorealistic um, 3D audio, 3D um, visuals, and you walk into that virtual world, and it's as if you were in the real world. It's truly a physical, quote unquote, digital twin of the, of the facility. And because you are already familiar with that location, because that's where you spend much of your time in the real world, it, in a sense, it's, you, that immersive experience allows for knowledge transfer in a, in a radically new and better way. We, you know I talked before about you know 20%, 20 to 30 percent of classroom learning, learning sticks with you um, in the longer term. What we're seeing in, with um, training by doing, um, that is to say, you, what you, your hands are being used using gaming controllers, but you're in a virtual environment, you get some sort of haptic feedback. You are, you're codifying in sight and sound this, this very similar experiences that you have in the real world. And what that does is that codifies the skills and the knowledge in in a very unique way from a knowledge transfer perspective. So you get much higher retention rate, much higher, uh, I might call it stickiness of the uh, experiences. So when you go out and do those activities in the real world, you really truly remember. And it's almost like muscle memory because you practice it, you've rehearsed it in a virtual environment multiple times. There are many instances where you can't uh, experience um, and try out safety scenarios. You can't put out a fire physically um, in a in a plant environment. You can't run to a mustard station during a gas leak. You may have watched a video hmm. or you've watched a PowerPoint, but it's not real, really real for you. In the virtual world, you you're timed. You feel the emotion of of having to run to that location or deal with it, a critical issue in a certain time frame so it has in a sense this a very similar it's a very similar experience to what you would have in the real world and that truly codifies that knowledge and creates that muscle memory so when you go out and you know and do it you've practiced it and and it's done in a safe environment so you can practice many many scenarios that are critical over and over again so when you do it in the real world it, it comes almost second nature to you and that applies to kind of more basic operational, like maintenance procedures that are very long and elaborate. You know, pulling out the bundle from a, a large uh, compressor and having, you know, special tools to do that and to, to take things apart and put them back together, uh, to um, making observations um, when you're doing an inspection. You can essentially put those in the virtual environment and see if you actually do catch those. Uh, and you're scored and you can also create a a team environment. So um, we typically do is we'll put not just an individual on a task, but multiple individuals on a task that requires a team out in the field, but also connected to the control room operator. So what we've done is married two digital twins, the digital twin of the operator training simulator, which many of us are familiar with, an operator training simulator simulates the activities of the panel or control room operator. But instead of being connected into the real plant, it's connected into a simulator, and that's been sold, you know, by Honeywell and other other providers for many years. It's it's part and parcel of uh, of training. Uh, we have a customer that's um, over the last four years has put in three hundred thousand hours into their operator training simulator to train um, their their control operators on upset. Um, you know, uh, all sorts of situations. Now imagine bolting on or marrying that to a digital twin of the plant itself in a virtual world. And so the control room operator in his simulator is talking through virtual walkie talkies to a a group of team of operators out in the field. So it looks and feels just like the real thing, but it's done in a simulated environment across control room and field. And you're able to simulate things you would never able to do in, in the real world. They could be simple, ordinary scenarios, or they could be critical uh, safety scenarios, all in a digital twin and essentially um, creating that muscle memory. So when you have to do it in the real world, it becomes its second nature to you.
0: Interesting. So it sounds like from what you're saying there, that, that this use of simulation and virtual reality is not just, you know, a... a a type of uh, training that uh, is sometimes used in industry, but is quickly becoming a, a key facet of industrial operator training, is is that a correct assessment, or is it still kind of an adjunct way of training at this point? It, it's
1: becoming more mainstream. What we're seeing is there's a convergence of several technologies here. There's a convergence of cloud-based technologies, the virtual reality headsets, and the compute that's needed to do that high high-level rendering. Uh, as well as the connectivity to uh, other digital twins ar- around simulation uh, there's a whole series of technologies that have kind of come to um, come together over the last say three or four years that for the first time make possible a truly realistic simulation which is relatively low cost you know compared to what it may have been multiple years ago.
0: Okay understood thanks for clarifying that. Now, in addition to simulation or virtual reality for training, another trend that we've been seeing gain quick acceptance recently is the use of remote connection to experts to guide workers through specific tasks, as well as using it as a means to deliver documents, videos, and even augmented reality to educate workers as they actually do their jobs. What's your view on this trend?
1: I think that's very important uh, to support users in the field uh, once they have been have received that training, and that's done. Unfortunately, you know, paper and pencil just does not support um, ongoing um, ongoing training in the field or providing the the the, um, the knowledge or the data that's needed to make better decisions. Ultimately, when you're in the field, you we hope that you've been trained. Uh, sufficiently to handle ordinary tasks, you have enough self-awareness of what's going on around you with regards, you know, your gas detector, um, you know, fall fall zones, other 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 hazards, you know, confined space entry, uh, issues around lockout tagout that that um, that might be incomplete or other things, but but having the data at hand, you think about the the typical consumer. I carry in my phone, in in my pocket, a an, a phone that allows me to have access to tremendous amounts of data. Uh, wh- where I am, what where I need to go to buy something, a recipe. Um, you know, there, there's a a million things that you you can, you know, just through surfing the internet or apps that you have in your phone, you have access to a tremendous amount of data. You get it out into the field in the refinery or petrochem plant or manufacturing facility. And what do you have a walkie talkie and maybe a, um, a clipboard uh, mm-hmm. at least the old, the old way, the new way, which is starting to gain ground is using um, obviously mobility tools, a smartphone, a tablet, or more recently, um, a, a wearable technology. So what the value of wearable technologies eclipse, for instance, to your hard hat is your hands are free. Your, your eyes are forward. You have that self-awareness you're wearing the appropriate ppe you have your safety glasses you have your gas detector any and then specific ppe for specific jobs to keep you safe um having being able to be hands-free and and um having your gloves on and using your voice to pull up information for instance um i'm in i'm standing in front of a, a compressor and i need to do maintenance on that compressor and I, I'd like to know about what was done before the last two, three, eight months, two years. What are the current values running through that compressor? What is the temperature? What is the pressure? What, what valves are closed or opened? Many times, I either have to go back to the control room to find documentation, or human nature often, you know, just l- allows us to skip that. I'm just going to do it by memory, or what, you know, or I'll call using my walkie-talkie to someone else, who calls somebody else, or so. The data is available, it's just not available at the moment in the field when it's needed. Mm-hmm. And what some of these digital tools do, um, and in the case that we, we've built something called the Intelligent Wearable, which is a Android-based platform that's voice-enabled, like your Alexa or your Google Home. And essentially you ask, I won't say Alexa or Google Home because I have one right on my desk here. Yeah. Um, it might just respond back with some music or something, right? Yeah, it happens sometimes when you say those words in, in the middle of a podcast. But um, but essentially, you use that same technology. We're using the same technology to say, "Give me the the step by step procedures for draining pump 206, Right, and you'll see these those in your in your heads up display. Um, and um, you can also, because it's connected to the control room system, you can also look at the data that currently the control operator only sees. And using things like either a, a QR code to scan at a distance using the front facing camera of this wearable, um, you can essentially pull up the data live or historical data. You know, the, the actual pressure and temperature and flow um, at the moment when you're doing your work in real time at, with your hands free. Um, this I can't um, underestimate the value of making better decisions when you have live and historical data plus maintenance documents while well amidst doing a task at hand that um it's and it's sometimes hard to measure we're starting to me- trying to measure the roi around this and we're getting some amazing results uh, there's a lot more study and work to be done as these um, wearable devices go into the field but just having everything at your fingertips hands-free in a safe way uh, without you know blocking your view from the the obstacles or hazards around you, making it easy to use with your gloves on using the voice enabled system. Um, I think of it like this: in 2008, I'm kind of a, a tech geek. I waited online for several hours to buy one of the first iPhones in Texas, and and I started using it for email and texting and phone calls. That was about it. Now you know, fast forward you know 15, 12, 15 years. Who would have ever thought that I'd be using my my cell phone for yeah, taking video, um, capturing um, you know data, um, ordering a pizza, you know, finding my way to the other side of the city in a city which I've never visited before using Google Maps? That's uh, that's where I see these mobile digital technologies, particularly the ones that are wearables. Um, really, we don't know where it's going to go, but I have a—it's going—I have a feeling it's going to be a similar path to what we've seen with the uh, with the
0: smartphone. So earlier we talked about initial skill level assessments to determine specific training needs. You yeah, know, but what about? kind of revisit that, you know, what about ongoing assessments to determine if and when a worker may need more training in particular areas or even need to revisit or brush up on training they've already completed? Uh, is that something that you address with uh, these technologies?
1: Yes, very much so. Uh, it's all about the data and what I call worker analytics. What can we know about how a person is working, behaving in a safe manner in the field. Um, obviously a supervisor just by talking to the individual, seeing them do their work, that's a bit of a subjective understanding of how the person is working safely and in an optimal way. We're using you know, consumer type technologies like geolocation, geofencing, keeping track of how long it takes to do each step in a process, um, the uh, how many times you call back to an expert um, using the the intelligent wearable technology, and who you're calling? you know, am, am I calling an expert in maintenance or am I calling back to the OEM, uh, the, the a manufacturer of the equipment which you can do on the fly uh, while you're in the field? So you start to look at the, the analytics of what's going on in the field because you're using digital tools. Digital tools, in a sense, provide a fingerprint of activity that you couldn't get before because with paper and pencil and walking the plant, there was no fingerprint or way to know what was going on except what went from pen to paper. Now there's um, a digital fingerprint or footprint, you might say, of a lot of different activities that are going out in the field. And we're, we're beginning to take that data and look at based on best practices, so over hundreds and over thousands of people doing similar tasks, you begin to see trends and best practices and you begin to benchmark um, best practices for different roles, responsibilities and activities. And those benchmarks become a standard which you can compare and begin to see, well, this group of maintenance folks is they work generally speaking 40% more productive and 30% more safe There's less accidents. Why is that? What activities are going on? Is it a question of training? Is it a a question of self-awareness in terms of what you're doing around you? Is it a question of collaborating with another team member because you have a digital tool where you can connect with them with video and audio? So those digital footprints or fingerprints become the basis for benchmarks. And we then can begin, um, looking at um, competencies. And when we do see a gap, then we would just invite them to go through uh, back to the simulator, for instance, and practice and rehearse those tasks they're not doing quite as well. And and that's where it becomes an ongoing thing. Think about um, a flight simulator and uh, a pilot today. If a pilot has not flown a 787 in, say, a year, year and a half, they are required by law to go back into the simulator, do certain tasks, fly in difficult situations with the, you know, the panel in front of them, with the controls in front of them, until they are, you know, there's a level of competence so they can go and, you know, fly the the plane that's that's you know there and you know to that's the task at hand. The same thing is true with um, with you know more advanced critical tasks. You can be asked to come back to the simulator based on field analytics, worker analytics, about what's been going on to simply go through and rehearse and get yourself up to speed uh, in areas where it's been seen
0: uh, or or somehow uh, there's some gap in Mm -hmm. in that uh, understanding or that skill. Interesting. So it's a combination of both timed reviews as well as assessments of what that particular operator or worker is doing day-to-day where it might show that they need help with. So, you know, with regard to the kinds of training tools you've been describing here today, can can you speak to how effective they are in terms of operational and worker safety improvements? I know earlier you mentioned that you've been getting some good results from this. I'm curious about, especially around uh, the area of worker safety.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've been implementing these virtual simulators, particularly virtuality simulators, for a couple of years, and we're just, we're still in the process of collecting data. We're going to be uh, releasing a study at the end of this year with one of the major consulting firms to compare classroom learning to e learning to virtual reality training in multiple areas in safety, in operations in maintenance. So we're going to be looking at slicing it in different ways. So there's some work to be done to to kind of measure some of these things. But anecdotally, I would say the level of self-awareness is gone up exponentially with the use of virtual reality and simulation uh, because you're able to throw at that person all sorts of things that they might only see twice in their life or every few years. And if you're a newer worker, you may have never had a single experience of what you may have to experience tomorrow in your job. Something that, that would really raise your blood pressure, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can raise your blood pressure you know, virtually in the sense that you have that true to life experience, when you get back out into the field and you're facing it for real, um, the chances are of you um, doing things in a safer way, particularly under pressure, because you can put people under pressure in a simulator in a very realistic way so that because it it's multifaceted it's just not uh, i have the skill to follow these steps and and complete a task it's also the emotional element the the panic the the urgency of getting things done the collaboration with other colleagues because it's many times it's not you just alone you may have to sh- shut down shut off 13 valves before you can take control and it requires multiple people and so you can rehearse those multi I call it multiplayer. You think of a virtual reality video game. It's similar to that in that you have to work together in a virtual environment to um, to um, either take down the plant or you know whatever take down a unit quickly before things things get out of hand. So it we are collecting data around safety. We have more to do, and soon we will have uh, some really interesting uh, studies done that will will share. You know, true data comparing, you know, classroom learning, e-learning and a kind of more advanced simulation learning and how each of those provides um, value and I believe um, we'll see tremendous value in in, uh, from the measurements that we see around virtual simulation.
0: So, Vincent, we've covered a lot of ground here today, but one last question I have for you is, you know, clearly there are a number of workforce training technologies available that incorporate simulation, augmented reality, connection to remote experts, et cetera, that we've been discussing here. So, how do you recommend that end users assess the market to ensure they're selecting the system that best fits their needs?
1: Sure. I think it's... um... I think you first of all have to see this not as purchasing a technology as such to do um, improve competency, but to think about it more as a holistic methodology. So when you go to the market, which vendor, which um, you know set of capabilities truly address a couple of key things, skills gap assessment. I think that is the future of training to really have tools which will allow you to assess the gaps in knowledge and the gaps in skill um, most training providers do not do that if if they do it's really basic kind of assessments online assessments they ask you questions and to get a sense of where you might have a weakness um, simulation technology allows you to drill down very specifically on specific tasks and then um, the other thing is that it, you drive that to conclusion it's not just looking at uh, a skills gap assessment but also a, a, an assembly or um, a variety of tools that allow you to address and target the, the training. So a blended, so you think about blended training delivery, e-learning, immersive learning, um, hands-on training and with with um, colleagues and, and to some extent a classroom training as well. So that, that, that methodology probably is probably the most important thing to to address when looking for um, the next generation uh, training methods.
0: Well, thank you for joining me for this podcast, Vincent. And thanks, of course, to all of our listeners. And please keep watching this space for more installments of Automation World, Get Your Questions Answered. And remember to visit our website at automationworld.com to stay on top of the latest industrial automation technology insights, trends, and news.